Yeah, so there are a number of uh, organisms that are able to repair themselves after damage. And so, so axolotls, the, the Mexican salamander is one example where they will re, re, regenerate uh, their, their legs, their, their eyes, their jaws, portions of the brain, the heart, their spinal cord. Um, there are other models like the planarian flatworms that we work with where pretty much every piece of the planarian can regrow the entire thing. So this, this ability to, um, to regenerate is a, uh, is a, is a, is a special case of a, of a broader capacity, which is something we call anatomical homeostasis. So this is not just for adult regeneration. Embryonic development does the same thing. And so does remodeling, for example, in metamorphosis from a tadpole to a frog. The, the idea is, is pretty simple. You have this homeostatic loop that uh, continuously deforms and remodels the tissue. So the cells are moving around, they're migrating, they're differentiating, they're doing various things until the, the shape becomes roughly uh, equal to a target morphology, the thing that it's trying to, the shape that it's trying to achieve. And so it's basically an error minimization scheme that it's able to, in some uh, coarse grained way, sense deviations from the correct pattern. And those deviations could be injury, they could be teratogens, they could be um, mutations, they could be all sorts of things. And so, and, and until that, that, uh, that error is reduced below an acceptable threshold, things will keep changing. So for, for us, the real trick is uh, to understand not only how regeneration happens, and, and lots of people study the, the cellular mechanisms of, of turning this cell type into that cell type and so on, but actually the algorithms of how it fulfills the three steps of that homeostatic cycle, because it needs to do three things. It needs to uh, measure the current shape so that it can tell whether it's correct or not. So it has to, so the collective, and, and this is something very large, so no individual cell can measure something so big. It has to be a collective uh, computation. So, so the collective has to be able to measure the current shape. Then it has to be able to uh, remember what the correct shape is. So there's a kind of pattern memory here that where you can tell, is it right or is it wrong? And we've made some, uh, some, some progress in, in seeing how it stores those memories. And then it has to uh, issue, the, the, the collective has to issue commands to the lower level subunits, meaning the cells, to rearrange in a way that, that gets them closer to this final. So, so to us, this is, this is very much um, this kind of problem solving cycle, really critical to find out how, how does it know when to stop? You know, very few people actually work on regeneration asking, how, how does it know when to stop? So when a salamander makes a correct arm and then everything stops, how does it know that's what a correct salamander arm looks like? I mean, that's a critical question. And so, so all, all of the three, sort of all of the aspects of that standard sort of test operate exit loop has to be identified in biology. And we've just be, really just begun to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to ask you just based on what we what mentioned, do you think in robotics we have to go for this question in, yeah, just enter them? Or not necessarily to go this level? I don't know about this level, but absolutely a lot of what Mike just said has to be incorporated into robotics. We're, we're moving in robotics into soft robotic spaces, into biohybrid robots. You know, there's been this assumption throughout the history of robotics that the body of the machine is fixed. And that, that assumption, you know, has to be rolled back. You, you cannot, in my opinion, you cannot make an adaptive machine that has a, a completely fixed body plan. It just, it just doesn't work. You're, you're just too limited. Um, but again, if we're building, you know, depending on what soft robots we're building out of what materials, we can't just borrow directly from biology, right? We couldn't make a, a huge flapping bird and get it off the ground. We had to borrow the principles 
of heavier than air flight and adapt it to the materials from which it's built. So I think uh, as usual in bio-inspired AI and artificial life, you know, we're looking carefully at, at what Mike's group is, is discovering and figuring out how to distill out of that the basic principles of homeostasis, adaptation, intelligent action, and then build that into whatever materials we're building our soft robots out. And, and how to do that well or in a principled manner is again, you know, a completely open question. I mean, the funny yeah. thing is, it's, it's interesting that you say that uh, about, you know, giving up that assumption of, of a constant body. Uh, biological evolution gave this up long ago. Because, because the interesting thing about um, many, probably not all, but, but most creatures is that uh, they are incredibly tolerant to large-scale changes of architecture. So, for example, um, you can make, uh, we've made tadpoles where the eyes are on the tail and those instead of in the head, and those animals can see perfectly well. They, they, they learn in visual assays, no problem. So, so the brain can, can immediately, um, well, first of all, at the cellular scale, if you, are a, if you are a bunch of cells that are trying to make an eye, the fact that you're sitting next to a spinal cord and muscle as opposed to the, the brain and then various other things, no problem. You'll still make an eye and you'll still make an optic nerve that connects to something, the spinal cord nearby, perhaps. And, and so, so that, that plasticity is there. And then the plasticity of behavior so the brain has no trouble interpreting this, this, this weird, uh, you know, sort of electrical signals from, from a new patch of itchy tissue on your tail as visual data and behaving appropriately. It's, yeah, it's, it handles that right off. And so what that, what that is probably signifying is that evolution discovered really early on that in order to be ad adaptively successful and, um, and evolvable, you have to have uh, that kind of plasticity that, that you have to assume that your body can change. And that things don't necessarily go where you can't assume that everything is where it needs to be. And that you can still, um, all the different parts compete and cooperate within the body to, uh, to, to result in some sort of adaptive function. So that plasticity, I think biology uh, sort of assumes right off the bat that you don't know where anything is and, and that you still have to, you know, you still have to get your business done, even if, even if things are surprising and, and not where you thought they were.